The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome here into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt, and I am your host, and so grateful that you are taking a little time to connect and and join us for this episode. I just got done. I'm not sure if any of you out there have tried an infrared sauna before. Um, I recently have been been trying that out, and so I just got done with a nice infrared sauna session, which is just what the doctor ordered on a very, very cold day here in Minnesota. Um, and so, yeah, just sitting down now to to record this episode and 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 really, really excited to to share this conversation with with all of you. And today on the podcast, we have a, a very special guest. Our new Miss Minnesota is... Ellie Mark, Miss St. Croix Valley! Rachel Aaron, you are our first runner-up tonight! That right there was Ellie Mark being crowned Miss Minnesota back in June. Big moment for her, for sure. And Ellie recently competed at Miss America in Las Vegas. And Ellie is our guest here on the podcast. And and the reason that I wanted to have her on is because mental health is is Ellie's platform and, and is what she has decided to make a priority to, to go along with her time as Miss Minnesota. And, and she's been sharing her story with mental health um, publicly. And, and I, I really wanted to have her on to, to go deeper, learn about what she's gone through. And I, I, I have to tell you, really, really a, a beautiful, beautiful conversation that, that I had with Ellie. Um, Ellie is is very open about struggling with anxiety, depression, and panic disorder. A lot of that started for her in college, and, and she will share all of that with you here on this episode. Very, very open, very, very vulnerable. Um, it is particularly timely that we have Ellie on the podcast, given the news of Chesley Christ, who recently died by suicide. Chesley, for those of you who are not familiar, she is a, a former Miss USA and um, just a really, really, really sad, sad story that's unfolded here as of late with her. Um, somebody that from the outside looking in had it all pulled together, had everything, and um, as we know now, was was really, really struggling in, internally. And so I, I talked to to Ellie about that. And, um, you know, Ellie opens up about some things here in this episode that, um, she says she's never really shared publicly in the, in this way. And so, um, I was, was just honored, absolutely honored that Ellie, um, felt comfortable opening up and is doing that of course, to help all of, all of you, all of us feel a little bit less alone in what we might be going through. She has, a really, really awesome kind of visual analogy that that she uses to to help handle thoughts as they arise, like anxious thoughts, how to maneuver those in the moment. 
And and I have to tell you that this analogy is something that I have actually drawn upon since our conversation, uh, and it's it's helped me, and and I think it it will help all of you out there too. So. That's a little taste of what's coming your way here on this episode, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna just go ahead and, and toss it over to my conversation with Ellie Mark, the current Miss Minnesota. Ellie, I just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to to sit down and chat. It's so good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing a little a little research on you leading up mm-hmm. to this. Don't be intimidated <laughs> by that. But I, I, I heard you heard you say that that since you were a little girl, you you wanted to be Miss Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why why was that? When I was younger it was for the glitz and the glamour of it. I'm gonna be completely honest. <laughs> you know, I used to watch Miss America and I wanted to do something like that. I wanted to be something like that. And having two older sisters, I've had built in role models, so to speak, but getting to kind of be an older sister for other people is something that I've always wanted myself. And I never competed in pageants at a young age. My mom was like, absolutely not. You know, we watched toddlers and tiaras and she was terrified. Mm. (laughs) And so she was never that type of mom. I never felt any pressure to actually do any of that. But when I got to college, uh, I went to school at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and they have this big festival there called Oktoberfest and they had a Miss Oktoberfest. And at that time, I was two years out of competing for uh, Miss Red Wing, which was actually Mm. Red Wing Royal Ambassador, something that I aspired to do, you know, the big build up my whole life looking up to those girls again getting to be a role model like the role models I once had. And um, when I competed for Miss Red Wing, I didn't win. And that was really devastating for me. And that's a huge actual part of my mental health story. But Mm. jumping ahead a little bit, I ended up competing for Miss Oktoberfest because I kind of saw it as a way to have that role in the community that had become my home rather than my hometown Mm. and still be that role model, still give back and things. And I won that. And then they said, okay, you're going to Miss Wisconsin. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize that that's how you got to Miss America. And I competed at Miss Wisconsin and I was like, I don't want to be Miss Wisconsin. I'm from Minnesota. I wanted the opportunity to go to Miss America, of course, but if I was going to do that, I wanted to be Miss Minnesota. So I figured my way out in the Miss Minnesota world and won the title of Miss St. Croix Valley Mm. and then had that title, what was supposed to be for three months, ended up being 15 months thanks to COVID and then was crowned Miss Minnesota. So getting to live out that dream, it's... it's not a typical journey for mm-hmm. a quote-unquote pageant girl, mm-hmm. uh, but I did make it there to the end-all, be-all of that type of world, that type of competition. And really the big reason that we're here today is that mental health is... is do we call that your platform? Yes. Is that, is that what we call it? Yes. They, okay. The other term for it now is social impact initiative. Okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is the platform. It is the cause that I champion as Miss Minnesota. Yeah. And and, and I know we're going to get into your story. Mm-hmm. Was was that a hard decision to make that like mental health was the thing that you wanted to talk about or, or was it an easy like, this is what I want to do? I remember someone said to me when I was choosing my platform for the first time, they said, pick something that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. Mm. And at the time, I remember I was watching TV quite literally in my bed. And on the Today Show, they had this big thing about smartphone usage and the increase in suicide rates amongst teenagers. Mm. So I jumped to, at the time, being diagnosed with mental health disorder, going, oh, I'm going to talk about smartphone usage because I wasn't quite ready to tap into that side and share my whole story, Mm -hmm. partially because I was afraid to, but partially because I didn't truly believe that I actually had depression or anxiety. Part of that imposter syndrome, right? Like it's not that bad, so I shouldn't share my story. Um, And then I mentioned, you know, I had the title of Miss Lacrosse Oktoberfest, but I didn't win on my first try. The first time I competed, I had that smartphone platform talking about this mindful usage of our smartphones and creating healthy relationships with them and technology in general. And I placed first runner up and then I decided, you know, I'm going to go for this again after long, hard thoughts and mm-hmm. figuring out, you know, what can I do better this time? 
And I realized it wasn't the smartphone thing that got me out of bed. It was the aspect of mental health and talking about it and Mm. how other people are suffering. And I want to be part of the problem. I mean, part of the solution so that I can prevent people from experiencing those same problems I did. Yeah. And you have a platform to do that now, which is really, which is really incredible. Mm -hmm. When I I know it can always be kind of hard to like pinpoint, right? Like I get asked this question all the time, you know, tell me your story, you know, like when did it, when did you start struggling with Mm -hmm. mental health? And I know for me, I can kind of really trace that back. Yeah you know, as you kind of look in hindsight, but for you, when did you start noticing that maybe there was something going on? All my life, I was an overachiever. Having two older sisters, both of which are incredibly successful and also being the daughter of a judge in town, Hmm. I was always, you know, the youngest Mark girl, the judge's daughter, Kendall's little sister, Chloe's little sister, not the (laughs) Kardashians, my older sisters. Um, and When I got to high school, I mean, I immersed myself in everything. I worked three part-time jobs. I had to be student council president. I had to be not just in choir, but the fancy choir, not just in the musical, but a lead role in volunteering. And I very much inserted myself in anything and everything. And looking back, I can now recognize, you know, hindsight is 2020, that that was me finding validation and coping in the things I was achieving. Mm. And um, the moment that I was no longer a high schooler, the moment I didn't have all those titles, um, the moment I went for Red Wing Royal Ambassador or Miss Red Wing, and I didn't have that title to carry with me, and I went off to college, I had this identity crisis. And that's Mm. where I can pinpoint starting to recognize that I was actually struggling with depression. It was the being at college, everyone around me is supposedly having the time of their lives and waking up, going to class, going to work, getting the same thing at the cafeteria every day, sometimes going to the gym to see if that would help. But then going and shutting myself in my dorm room and just being like, "Ugh, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Mm. Not with any idea that I wanted to hurt myself, but just that this is a really tough life and I don't want to keep living it. Mm. And Looking back at that, my heart just breaks because I also was in a place where I went to um, on-campus like counseling because I could tell I was crying all the time and I was like, something's wrong. Um, But the conversations about me potentially having a mental health disorder were still not being brought up. Hmm. It was just like, oh, this is a tough time. You'll get through it. And looking back on that, I'm like, it was more than a tough time though. And I really wish... I would have had someone to look to or someone to say, hey, anyone can struggle in this way, but maybe you need more help and that's Mm -hmm. okay too. And I didn't really get that until, so when I first went off to college, big part of it, I went far away to Nashville, Tennessee, thinking that I'm going to make a name for myself out here. Um, And when I started struggling so much, my mom was like, you need to come home. And so I ended up coming home and thinking that was going to fix everything, but it didn't naturally Mm -hmm. because I was struggling with an illness that I didn't know. And, um, I did eventually start seeking therapy, uh, through my primary care physician and then connecting through a therapist that way. And then they diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder and major depression. Mm -hmm. And even then I was like, I'm fooling everyone. Like I don't actually have an illness. I can't, you know, I'm a happy person. I'm someone who has money. I, you know, I'm at college. I have friends. Like there's no way I actually have this. And it wasn't until the real turning point, there were two major ones, but the first one was when someone said to me, you could be medicated and Mm -hmm. I think it would help you. And I remember just sobbing my eyes out and going, oh my gosh, I actually do have an illness. Like Mm -hmm. this is actually real. It's not what, other people think of me or doctors think I have, it's no, it's actually there. And it's something that can be treated like diabetes or a heart condition. And I mean, looking at that, that was a, I remember it so clearly I was driving to college and I was just bawling my eyes out going, Oh my gosh, this is actually something I struggle with. I'm, Mm. I am part of the other group that was mentioned when I was younger of people who struggle with a mental illness. And we've come a long way in that, but there's still that stigma associated with it for sure. So you mentioned, um, you get the diagnosis of depression, Mm -hmm. right? Um, panic disorder. Mm -hmm. What were you having symptoms of like panic attacks? Yes. And 
the first one came very randomly. I'll, I'll never forget it because I remember being like coming out of it and being like, that was weird. Yep. Um, but not really knowing <laughs> that it was anything. Yep. Uh, I was packing my bag for my first day of college classes and it was mm. my sophomore year. And looking back on it, what was triggering it was I was afraid that what happened the year prior where I went into that major depressive episode Mm. was going to happen again in packing that backpack. Those were the thoughts that were going through my mind. And for me, I'm fortunate that my panic attacks have usually just required me to lay down on the floor Mm -hmm. and within a couple minutes I can come to. And I remember I came to and I called my mom. I was like, I think I just passed out. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I was like, it was really weird. She goes, do you think you had a panic attack? I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That doesn't happen to me. And then, uh, a week later I was taking a physics exam because I was a physics major at the time. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, (laughs) but I was a physics major and I was taking a physics exam and it happened in the middle of the exam too. And I had to go to the bathroom and that's when I was like, okay, uh, maybe mom's right. I didn't even think it was a panic attack. I just thought, something is bad and happening. And and so went to the bathroom and laid on the ground. But that was, I'll never know what came first. Was it the chicken or the egg? You know, was I depressed first and then anxious about the depression or was the anxiety always there, which caused the depression, which triggered that, you know, but at the end of the day, I guess that doesn't matter as much as the fact that at least we're taking care of it as best we can. (laughs) Yes. Well, and you can spend all day, right? Trying to figure out and piece it together right. and, you know, come up with the why and right. all of that, that can get pretty exhausting. Mm-hmm. So you're, so you're in college, you're, you're experiencing these things. You're starting to get some understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens next? Did you start getting the help that you needed through medication and through therapy? Yes and no. Okay. And I say that with a little bit of a smirk because I often tell people that, it wasn't just the diagnosis or getting the medication that was, you know, the recovery. It was three years after that, finding the right medication, mm. finding the right therapist. Yeah. And in that three years, I was, I would not say I was thriving. There were of course very high points, but there were still really low points. Yeah. And, um, I went through three different medications before finding the one that I really needed. Yeah. And, also three different therapists. Um, my first one was great. He, uh, was someone who worked mostly with people who had like performance anxiety related to sports or things. And I had a lot of testing anxiety, so Mm -hmm. that was really helpful. But then when I was back in my hometown for the summer, I was like, Oh, I don't really need to see him because I don't really have any testing things going on. Yeah. Then, you know, life started happening and he actually, um, passed away. And that was kind of like a, yeah, I really don't need a therapist then he's Mm, not even around. And I say that lightly, still very much respecting him. But then, um, I started seeing someone short term and one of our first, I think it was like our third session. She said, Oh, you seem to think a lot about your problems. That's good. And I remember thinking, lady, I have anxiety. That's not a good thing. (laughs) And so her personality and my personality didn't click. And it wasn't until actually after college, um, I said, okay, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. It was in what, 2019. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm out of college. I don't need medication anymore. I don't need therapy anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I just had anxiety and depression because I was in college. Uh, and I can laugh now, but I ended up going off my medication under a doctor's supervision, didn't see any therapist or anything like that. I really thought, okay, I'm going to be fine now. Mm -hmm. And a couple months into that, uh, the anxiety monster kept creeping back up and the panic attacks were coming very frequently. And, um, it was another turning point of going, oh, this isn't just a temporary illness. This is some, this is a chronic illness that Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to be able to, walk away from. And I was oddly at peace with that because I was struggling so much without a therapist or without medication Mm -hmm. that I was like, at least I have something to point to and say, well, this is what's causing it. And I know what to do about it now. So fortunately, um, was hooked up with a new medication that was more focused on anxiety, which has helped significantly with everything while still helping me maintain my energy levels Mm. 
still helping me be the crier that I am yep. at things that I care about. Whereas some medications kind of made me feel like a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize I was a zombie, but I definitely <laughs> was. And um, found a therapist who I just explicitly said, I need a female who understands anxiety. And by just being very specific and saying, this is the type of therapist I'm looking for and almost interviewing the therapist while she was getting yeah. to know me, which is something no one told me to do up until this last time. And I mean, I've had this bit diagnosis for several years now. Um, now I feel like I'm finally in a place where I may have a mental illness, but I still feel mentally healthy because Beautiful. I'm able to cope with it in a way. Um, you, you met, you referred to it as, kind of the anxiety monster coming on and making yes. noise. I'm curious what the anxiety monster looks like for you. It's funny. So my boyfriend and I watched this show. I can't remember if it's called, I think it's called Big Mouth. It's mm. on Netflix and uh, it's very inappropriate. Don't let your kids watch it. <laughs> it's um, like a cartoon, but, isn't it? Yes. I've heard of it. Yep. Yes. And it's all about puberty and things yes. like that. And it's, it's hilarious, but one of the things they talk about are like hormones and, you know, in puberty that can take on many different forms, but they talk about, um, also like mental illness in a way. And one of them is the anxiety mosquito Mm. and it's that like buzzing in your ear. And that's the form it took on for me once I started watching that show. And the other one is they have this like big cat, kind of like the Cheshire cat from um, Alice in Wonderland. That's the depression cat. (laughs) And it's like, those are exactly the forms that they've now taken in my head. Because Hmm. when I'm struggling with anxiety, it's a lot of buzzing in my head. And how I describe it to people, and I know it can be an experience that's different for everyone. But for me, it's kind of like that radio noise that you say it's in another room, but you keep hearing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it gets louder and you can't turn it off and you can't turn away from it. And sometimes it's so overpowering that it overwhelms you. And that for me becomes a panic attack. Mm. And for the depression cat side of things, it's more of the picture an old fat cat laying in the Mm -hmm. sun. And it's like, oh, well, I don't really want to move. I know I'm not in the best place right now. I have no energy. I kind of don't want to be touched by anything. I'm just going to sit here and sulk. And so those have kind of taken on those forms in that visual sense, thanks to a random cartoon show on Netflix. (laughs) But I think that's, I think that's beautiful in so many ways, right? It can be kind of helpful to, to almost put a name Mm -hmm. to the thing that you're struggling with and Mm -hmm. recognizing what I like about that is there's kind of a recognition that it's not you. Mm -hmm. It's not fused to you. It's something that's kind of outside of you that you're observing. Right. And being able to separate it. And that's one thing that I'm actually working on right now in therapy is being able to distinguish thoughts that are helpful and not helpful. Mm. And one of the ways, if you find a thought that isn't helpful to your current moment, say, you know, I started a new job recently and I've had a very, uh, I don't use the word traumatic lightly, but a very traumatic experience in my last job due to a toxic work environment. And a lot of the things I'm hearing or doing are starting to kind of trigger some of those anxious and negative and not helpful thoughts. Like Mm -hmm. you're not good enough or you're not doing enough. And so you label it as a not helpful thought. And then you can kind of, one exercise that we just did was being able to visualize the thought and uh i'm sure you're familiar with it maybe but it's like give it a shape give it a color give it a weight and just being able to separate it for a second all of a sudden you're like oh that thought doesn't consume me it doesn't define me it's there i recognize it's there but it's not it's not helpful it's not really like that Mm -hmm. i have uh um, I was actually, sometimes when I do like podcasts, I'll mm-hmm. actually set it on the table. I put mm-hmm. it away before you got here because I thought you'd look at me a little weird if I had <laughs> it on the table. But given this conversation, it would have been helpful actually. Mm-hmm. But my, um, I have a good friend that gave me a, a ball of yarn mm-hmm. that I, I often will kind of place in front of me. And that ball of yarn represents the anxiety mm-hmm. or, the, or the thought that's feeling really, really consuming. Yeah. And it's just that like visual reminder of, I don't need to make that thing go away necessarily, yeah. but it can just kind of sit there mm-hmm. and, and I can do the best that I can in that moment at letting it be just part of the experience. Yeah. And one thing that I've learned in therapy that I hope other people will find helpful in potentially listening to this is just what you were saying, that 
that thought doesn't need to continue to take up your whole mind and all of your space. It is possible to create that separation and not try to shut the thought down, let it exist, but it just doesn't need to exist completely and overwhelm you. Like I said, when I would let that thought overwhelm me and be so loud that I just could not literally function. Like my Mm -hmm. body was like, we can't do this. Let's give up and lay on the floor. And so to be able to separate it and say, you know, it can exist without having to put energy into trying to cancel that thought. Yeah. Because sometimes it gets louder when you try to shove the ball Absolutely. away, you know, so. And it's tough too, right? When you don't struggle with anxiety, there's a lot of, um, or, or I guess when you, when you do struggle with anxiety, it's mm-hmm. tough, obviously. There, there, I feel like we hear a lot of messaging out there in the world right now around just think positive or, you know, kind of like just shove that thought aside. And and I, I always find that doesn't really work very well for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. you can have a negative thought and the more you try, I'm going to use a lot of it. I'm a very visual person yeah. and my therapist has learned this about me. So she gives <laughs> me all these like visual analogies. Yeah. Uh, but the one that's been really helpful to me is thinking of yourself in a swimming pool with a beach ball. Mm. And if you have an th- anxious thought and you're trying to push it under the water, all it's doing is draining you mm. and pushing it down. It's going to keep popping up and anger you and frustrate you and just take it over your entire being. But if yeah. you just let that thought sit there, let that ball just kind of float around, you know, it exists. It's a negative thought there, but like, if you're trying to push it down or cancel it and tell myself, this is not a positive thought, so I can't think it, mm. that is way more difficult and way more exhausting than just saying, I acknowledge that thought is there now moving along, which feels so mm. cheesy when you're doing it, but yeah. it's so healing, especially for people who struggle with anxiety. I really like that. Yeah. That's you can like, use that I, one That now. is legit something that I will utilize. Yes. I think that's beautiful. Yes. Awesome. I should be paying you for this. This is like a therapy <laughs> yes. session happening Yeah, right here on the I podcast. I play therapist to my friends and I say, <laughs> it's not because I am a therapist. It's because I've paid a lot of money for yeah, therapy. Because <laughs> I'm in the midst of it sometimes. Yes. I, I want to transition here a little bit mm-hmm. and, and talk a bit about um, the news of Chesley Christ. Mm-hmm former Miss USA yes, um, who, who died by suicide very recently. Mm-hmm. And um, I know like just as somebody who is a mental health advocate, that really rocked me. Yeah. Like even just hearing about that, um, I would imagine being somebody who is in the, do we call it the pageant community? Is, yeah. that, is that a correct way of That's terming that? That's a totally that? fair way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. As, as Miss Minnesota, um, what was your reaction to, to hearing about that at first it was disbelief yeah it happened shortly after I came home from Miss America and in coming home from Miss America you know of course there's disappointment of course those feelings of oh if I would have won that I would have been so happy or so you know mm-hmm. you start to fantasize what that role could look like and while it wasn't Miss USA it's very parallel in a way of you have this national title to do what you want with. And she had it. And she not only had it, she used it to do so much, both professionally with her career. She became a correspondent on Extra. She was a successful lawyer, uh, but also in the sense of she was just an advocate for people. And so many people looked up to her for when she competed, she competed with her natural hair, Mm -hmm. which was huge. Sad to say that that was big, Mm -hmm. uh, at this point in our country, but it was. And to see someone who you think, well, she reached what I wanted to reach. She reached that level of success or notoriety that I wanted. And to realize even then those people can struggle. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm aware of that as Miss Minnesota, but to see it go up a level like that Mm -hmm. was just surreal in a sense. Mm -hmm. And it's brought about a lot of great conversations in the sense that when you are a title holder or even just someone in a temporary position like this, or where you are valued for your appearance, Mm -hmm. how do we prepare people to integrate back into the world and set them out, set them up for success outside of 
pageantry in this type of competition. And clearly these people at every level, we're not giving them enough support if this is what we come to. Yeah. Um, and I know it's, you know, it, it sparked even like a lot of conversations like, like talking about suicide is just deeply, um, it's, it's hard. It, mm-hmm. It's a hard thing for a lot of people to, I yeah. think, even have the conversation who potentially might be having or have experienced suicidal ideation, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be an extremely, extremely isolating place to be. Yeah. Um, has that, has that been at all part of your, your journey? Yeah. And I didn't recognize that it was until honestly fairly recently with my therapist. Um, You know, I mentioned at the beginning that when I was first off at college, I had those thoughts of, Oh, I wish I didn't wake up. Yeah. But in that time period where um, I wasn't on a medication and I wasn't seeing a therapist after college Mm -hmm. where I thought I was successful because I had a job, I was making money, had my dog, had my boyfriend, had my house, you know, all those things. Um, I can't remember what the event was, but I was in the cities and I was driving back to uh, my place in La Crosse. And so long, lonely drives are the bane of my existence. I love them, but they're also the worst thing for my mental Hmm. health from time to time. They can be the best thing and the worst thing, you know, because your mind just spirals. And I don't even know really what set it off, but I just remember I was driving and um, I kept having not even visions, but, and, or even urges, but just thoughts of what if I drove off the road right now? Mm. What if I didn't make it home? And it was so unlike me. It was so mm. foreign. And I just was crying and was just like, I think I should just drive off the road. Mm. That might be easier than what I'm dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about anyone else. I wasn't thinking about literally anything besides that. The pain that I was experiencing in that moment was greater than Mm. anything could solve at that point. And I remember by the grace of God, something came over me and said, go home and not home. Like where I lived, I was going to go to my parents' place Mm. and I didn't tell them. I just showed up and they were like, what are you doing mm-hmm. here? And I just broke down and I was like, I, I'm not, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And it was my first time ever admitting to anyone. I admitted to my mom that I, I almost wanted to die. Mm. And she looked at me and she said, your place in this family, your place on this earth, it's non-negotiable. I, you are here and you will be here for as long as I live and as for as long as you're meant to be here. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that because that line has just stuck with me. Like it's non-negotiable. Like I have work to do. I have people I'm here to support. I have things to accomplish. And from that moment on, I haven't, struggled with those same thoughts, but that was, I mean, that was terrifying. And I didn't even at the time recognize it as a suicidal thought because I wasn't making a plan to Mm -hmm. myself. I wasn't acting on anything, you know, I wasn't going to actually do it. Right. And I remember bringing it up to my therapist about that one time. And she's like, that's actually something that that's a suicidal ideation. Mm. And going, Oh my, wait, Oh, that's something I've actually struggled with, you know, Mm -hmm. not fully realizing just, I don't want to say how wrong that thought is because it's, I mean, it happened naturally and people are going to experience it and I don't want them to feel shame in experiencing it, but that that is not a quote unquote normal thing, you know? And when I talk to my mom about it or my family or, you know, close friends, they're like, I have never once even thought that way. And I'm like, oh, so I really, I did, I do need help. Okay. Mm. And I think in talking about Chesley's experience, one thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, there's this, there is a range of suicidal thoughts and ideations in that. She, of course, 
I don't even want to say made the choice because it's not really a choice when you get to that point. What happened to her is tragic. And that's the one end of the spectrum. And then there's the other like middle parts where it's you're making a plan or maybe you attempt and you survive. That's part of that spectrum. On Mm. the other side is more of what my experience was where it wasn't even a plan to do anything. It was just that my, my brain went there and saw that as a solution. Mm. And we need to rewire those pathways so that I don't continue to see it that way. And bringing up this conversation about the spectrum is important because I want people to realize that wherever you're at on the spectrum, it's an okay place to be as long as you are taking steps or towards healing and recognizing that you need the help. Well, I want to thank you for, for being vulnerable about that. Thanks. That's really, um, I think it's, these are, these are conversations that I've had with people in private, you Mm -hmm. know, that I think have, have opened up about things like this and, and we don't always do a very good job about, being willing to be public and and be open about these things that, um, can be a very, very real part of being a human being. Yeah. And so, um, I think to have somebody like yourself be open and real about that is a really big deal. And so I just want to thank you. Thanks. I, that's my first time really talking about it, but I mean, in really reflecting on it beyond the situation, the time it occurred, the time that I brought it up to my therapist and now, you know, but I'm in a unique place where as Miss Minnesota, I've been able to share my story with people or even just talk about mental health with people without them even knowing my personal struggles Mm -hmm. and just seeing the profound impact it has on individuals just to open up that conversation. And so I'm hoping that, you know, I can continue to do that and make the phrase I like to use is purpose of the pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through it. And so I might as well now that I'm in a better place use it for some reason i was like i always heard the the phrase make your mess your message yes kind of along the same lines i always i always come back to that a lot yeah i love that i'm so curious if anxiety shows up for you like on the stage when Mm. you're competing you know, you panic and things like that. Does, does yeah. it ever surface when you're, you're actually on stage at something like Miss America or Miss Minnesota? I grew up a competitive dancer. Yeah. And I mean, I've been on stage since I was, I was in the aisles dancing when my sisters were dancing at the age of three. Mm-hmm. And then I went up on stage and I kind of find public spaces like that to be more of a comfort zone to me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is about that. And so people ask me, what are your best, what is your best advice for stage fright? I'm like, I don't really have any because <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it, but I haven't really fully experienced that myself. Yeah. Um, and I love being on stage, whether that be as a dancer, as a singer, as Miss Minnesota, public speaking, love it. I don't know why I just uh-huh. do. Um, and same with, you know, acting and performing. I love that side of things. And I think, a part of that is I almost take on a different persona that's completely different from anything that I'm doing not on stage. Another part of it that I'm kind of just realizing as I'm talking through this is when you're on stage, you're forced to live in the moment. You're forced to be thinking about everything that's happening, right? That if you think ahead, you're messing up. If you're mm. thinking about something you already did, you're stuck, you know, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be focusing on exactly what's happening. And I think that being present helps to eliminate some of those fears and anxieties for me. But I've been very fortunate in that way. Yeah. Do you, how do you manage your mental health? So what, what helps you to, to kind of maneuver and, and work with the things that, um, that you've been so, so open about, like when you wake up in the morning, what, what helps you kind of ride the waves? Well, (laughs) I have to laugh because the thing, if I didn't have a dog, I wouldn't get out of bed. Um, <laughs> I'll just admit it now. My alarm goes off and I press snooze, but my dog, Willie, he does not. He just is like, Willie. okay, we're doing it. Yes. Oh, little Wilmer Taffy. Um, <laughs> so I, when I was seeing my first therapist, one of the things he asked me was, what makes you laugh? And first thing that came to mind was, oh, my parents' dogs, you know, I 
I think they're so funny. I love being around them. And he said to me, you should volunteer at a humane society or something that could be really helpful to you. Mm. I was like, great idea, Dr. Asp. So I went <laughs> to go uh, volunteer. It was my volunteer orientation. And, um, I met a dog named Jackson and, uh, he was the old grumpy guy in the group. Everyone was barking at the end of their kennels and he was just sitting in the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went up to his kennel. I was like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, and he came up and started licking my hands and I was sold. And uh, mm. I ended up going back the next day and adopting him. Um, and so my family was like, oh my gosh, you cannot volunteer at a humane society ever again, or you're going to have 30 dogs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I volunteered there like two more times and I cried every time I left. And so I was like, okay, maybe I just stick with my wife one my one dog uh so in college he was my saving grace he really Mm. you know when I wasn't feeling well because at the time I believe I was over medicated and so while I wasn't having panic attacks I wasn't really doing much of anything yeah um and so he was my reason to get out of bed he was my reason to go take walks you you know he was everything and so um I lost him oh gosh it'll be two years this year uh Mm. and then found Willie and Willie is the antithesis of Jackson. Uh, Jackson was very loving, loved to be around people, very low energy, but just very obsessed with his humans. And Willie is obsessed with anything that's not living and breathing. I mean, if it's a piece of paper mm-hmm. or a sock, he eats it. So <laughs> having that honestly is one of the major ways I cope with my mental yeah. illnesses, despite, you know, I shouldn't say despite, but in addition to being medicated and having a therapist as yep. well. I mean, pets are a huge part of it for me. Oh, there's such a, I have, I have my dog Cooper yep. and I always say he's, he's such a reminder to be present. Yes. Like I literally will be wrapped up in work or frantically worried about something and he'll come up with his little paw and almost like, you know, <laughs> right against my leg, like just I'm like going to cry. Yeah. But you know, it, it is, it's literally just like, look down at me and like, let's just like play ball for yes. five minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, they are, there's such a pull to the present moment. Yes. Yes. And a part of it too is having a schedule Yeah. too. And um, at least it's been really helpful for me in managing my symptoms is kind of sticking to more of a routine. Yep. Being Miss Minnesota is anything but a routine. Every day looks a little different. So that has been a struggle. But at the same time, you know, dogs are not, they are routine based. They are not humans, yes. you know, that can like go off of a routine. They don't have that capacity. So great forceful reminder. So are there other times of the day that are, are more tough for you with your mental health mornings, nights? Um, depending on the day, mm-hmm. it's usually not the middle of the day. I can tell you that mm-hmm. it's either going to be in the morning when I know something big is coming, but typically that is used more as like an energizer. And I found ways to be like, okay, anxiety and nerves and excitement all are the same hormones. So we're just going to pretend I'm really excited today. (laughs) Uh, keep telling myself that in the mirror. Um, but usually it's the end of the day that I tend to struggle the most. And, um, it's reflecting on either what happened during that day or thinking about what's going to be going the next day. And so, um, it's not really, I don't know if it's a quote or just kind of like something that people throw out there a lot, but the idea of depression is living in the past. Anxiety is focusing on the future. So that's why you need to stay present and stuff like that. And when you're trying to sleep, it's impossible to think about things in the present unless you're like, I need to sleep. I need to sleep. But then that becomes an anxious thought that you're not falling asleep or something. So So you now get to, use this platform as, as Miss Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, to, to share your story, to talk. I know you talk to students mm-hmm. as, as part of this work. Yes. Um, when you connect with, whether it's students or anybody that's hearing your story, um, what are you hoping that they walk away with? When I was younger, I didn't have someone to look up to in terms of mental health. Mm-hmm. I remember being in like high school in high school health class and we talked about mental health, but it was a disease or I should say mental health disorders are, were considered a disease of other than like it's people other than me. And I didn't have anyone that I could look at that looked like me or looked like I wanted to look, whether that be someone who was in a position I wanted to be in or, you know, just someone my age to talk about struggling with their mental health. Um, 
and struggling specifically with a mental illness. And so I think that's part of the reason I struggled to come to terms with the fact that I had a mental illness is because Mm -hmm. I didn't see other people like me struggling. And that, I mean, can that just representation can reflect in basically any realm of life. But for me in talking to younger people or being and having this platform, I hope that people can look at me and realize, you know, you can still look like you have it all, but still have these struggles at the same time. And, you know, part of it too, is I like to talk about mental health being something we all have, whereas mental illness isn't something everyone has, but more people struggle than we know. Mm. And when I'm talking with students, I, am a national ambassador for the campaign to change direction. And they have these five healthy habits of emotional well-being. So basically what those are aimed are um, aimed at are taking care of our minds the same way we take care of our bodies. So, you know, taking care of your body because that makes you feel better mentally when Mm -hmm. you're feeling best about yourself and also just getting enough sleep, taking care of yourself with hygiene and things like that. Nothing feels better than a good shower when you have the truth. Yeah. When you're feeling really down and stuff. Um, the next one is check in, you know, check in with friends, check in with a therapist, just normalizing conversations that go beyond, Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Great. Mm -hmm. Good to see you. You know, Mm -hmm. really deep diving and making sure that we're checking in beyond that surface level stuff. Next one is engage, engage with your community. I often say that the opposite of, um, my isolation and depression, you know, was that togetherness. That's what got me out of some of those depressive thoughts was just being around other people. So connect and engage wisely and make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that lift you up. And then relax is probably the most favorite of Mm. all of the (laughs) healthy habits. You know, we talk about when I'm talking to kids, it's always like, Oh, watching Netflix or scrolling on TikTok. And I'm like, yeah, sure. If that's how you relax, I don't find that relaxing anymore, but okay. Uh, relaxing to me is taking a nap, (laughs) but then the fifth one being know the signs of suffering and what to do if someone's experiencing that. So the goal with talking to students beyond just sharing my story, but also sharing those healthy habits is hopefully reminding them that they can do things to proactively take care of their mental health the same way they do their physical health. What has struggling taught you about yourself? I'm a lot more resilient than I realized. (laughs) I have gotten myself out of really dark places without realizing that I was doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also realized just how powerful the mind can be in deceiving you of your reality. And I say that, I mean, it comes across negatively, but it also is kind of like, wow, if my mind can focus on this and do this, I wonder what it could do if I actually did something positive with this experience, uh, which I can laugh about right now, but maybe not on other days. Um, you know, the other aspect of things too is in talking, it's not so much about myself, but just in about the way the world works and just kind of trusting the process in things and trusting the timing of things. Mm -hmm. I've learned that, you know, I may not have any idea about what is going to come of what I'm going through, but if I've learned anything, it's, you know, that making message from your mess, you know, the purpose from your pain. And so I've just found a lot of more trust in the universe, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in this process, in this healing. Well, I am so grateful. Um, that you took some time to connect. Um, I am always so deeply inspired by people who are taking their story, using their platform to just be real about it. Um, I don't think you'll, you'll ever really know the ripple effects of, of you sharing. Um, and so thank you for doing that. And, um, thank you for taking the time to connect. Yeah. And thank you for making this platform available to everyone. You can't Mm. talk about mental health if you're not given the platform to do so. So thank you. Well, thank you. Anything else that you want to add that I didn't ask you about? Um, Hmm. This is always the hardest question. (laughs) It's always so funny. And in journalism, we would always get sometimes our best answers when we would ask this question at the end. Oh, absolutely. And it usually is the time when all of a sudden my brain turns on and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like I have another 40 minutes in me. Here we go. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I think the biggest thing that I'd hope anyone would take away from this is just to recognize that I was once in your 
position mm-hmm. and there is still light at the end of the tunnel, even in some of that pain. And just because someone's hurt maybe appears to be greater than yours doesn't make yours any less valid. Mm. And so it's okay to seek that help, even if you think, oh, this isn't worth it. Well, if it's causing you pain, it's worth it. Mm. So, yeah, it's amazing how we diminish our struggle sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Don't we? And yeah. kind of, I, um, I think, and that, and that keeps us stuck. Sometimes, yeah. it, sometimes there's power in saying, you know what? No, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked by a mental illness. Yeah. And, and really, really struggling. And I don't need to be told that it's normal or I don't need to be told just, you know, everybody deals with it. Sometimes yeah. you need to know that like, Hey, you're up against something pretty tough. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible that you're, that you're maneuvering it. Yeah. Or that you're even recognizing it. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Well, we're doing the Minnesota goodbye. Yeah, we I know better, we, we, are. We, we, better, <laughs> we better just say goodbye. Okay. Peace out. <laughs> Once again, just a, a huge, huge thank you to Ellie for taking some time to to join us and and for that conversation. Really deeply, deeply grateful for it. Um, if you want to listen to to Ellie, she actually just recently started a new podcast called Rank You Very Much with um, actually a former coworker of mine at Care 11 here in Minneapolis, Eric Perkins. Also, Paul Fletcher is, is a part of that podcast as well. And I would encourage you to look that up, check it out. All wonderful human beings that are, are a part of that podcast there. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in. As always, I hope that you take what serves you from this conversation and and go ahead and just leave the rest. That's really the intention and and kind of what I what I really hope is is what you take away from this is just that there's no right or wrong way to maneuver this stuff when it comes to our mental health. Um, we all have little differences and you know things that that we've all experienced and yet there's also some really really beautiful common threads that I think we all have in our stories. And I hope that we can feel connected through that. And um, I look forward to connecting all again soon. So be gentle with yourself out there and um, we'll talk to you next week. If you or someone you know is struggling and in need of help, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number is one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. Again, one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five.